One of my favorite plants in the entire world is the avocado, for obvious reasons, but in case you don't know, I'll just explain it. It is like the superfood of heaven. I believe, and I think that's probably half the reason why I live here next to the avocado capital of the world, but I love all things avocado. I love avocados. I love the things that you make avocados uh, with. I love guacamole. I love avocado ice cream. I love anything that's green or remotely looks like an avocado. Uh, My first date with Brianna was at the avocado festival in Carpinteria about 10 years ago. Very fun. I love avocados. All I want to eat all day long are avocados. And I know people with avocado trees because we live in an avocado county with trees in their backyards and avocados fall by the hundreds to the ground and they rot. And I look upon them with judgment and disdain. (laughs) And sometimes I hop their fence when they're not looking. I love avocados. I'm convinced that the, the, the tree of life in heaven was an avocado tree. And I think that the biggest mistake of humanity was to go to, the, uh, to go to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil instead of to the avocado tree which God ordained for them to eat from. I love avocados. I have a tree in my backyard. It's not an avocado tree. It's a palm tree. I hate palm trees. Now, I'm not talking about date palms, the really pretty small ones that are nice and look luscious. I'm talking about the big, giant ones that spring five stories into the sky. The ones that look like, a, they look like dirty Q-tips sticking out of the ground. I hate palm trees. I know that's a bad thing to say because Santa Barbara, right? It is the quintessential tree of Southern California, but I hate them. I, I, know, hate, I know hate is a strong word. I shouldn't use it. I hate palm trees. And there's a giant one in my backyard. Now, if you have a backyard, you know that backyards don't come with a lot of real estate. Sometimes they're this big. And I have a little backyard, and in the backyard is a giant five-story palm tree. Uh, Now, I I understand in parts of Santa Barbara that this is acceptable, and they're planned that way, like on the waterfront, and they look beautiful when you take a picture of them. But there's long uh, lengths of palm trees going all the way down the waterfront, and it lines the whole American Riviera when you're looking at it from the right angle. Beautiful. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about my neighborhood, where there are no palm trees except one. No palm trees to be found except one in my backyard. It's five stories tall. You can't eat fruit from it. You can't climb it. You can't hang a clothesline on it. It takes up about six feet of the ground. You can't even look upon its beautiful leaves because they're up there. You get like, you you have to crane your neck all the way back. In the winter, the leaves that are about six feet long fall from the sky like daggers from the, from the heavens, and we're dodging them in the, uh, in the fall. The berries are falling, staining everything. I just can't stand this thing. It does no good to my backyard, to my, my presence of life. I want an avocado tree. And how many of you know that no matter how hard I have prayed that verse, if If you just have a little faith, you can say to this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and it shall be done for you. No matter how hard I pray, this tree will not be cast into the sea. And no matter how hard I wish that it would give me avocados, it will not give me avocados. It gives me berries and daggers falling from the sky. And the occasional raven that also leaves me other things on the ground. Not a pretty sight. I would rather have avocados, but no matter how hard I try to will it, a palm tree will not provide avocados. Why? Because it's a palm tree. <laughs> and palm trees don't give you avocados. Avocados tree, uh, uh, avocado trees give you avocados. 
Avocado trees will also not give you mangoes. They will not give you palms. A palm tree will not give you apricots. Each tree bears the fruit of its kind based on its nature. And this is the analogy that Jesus starts this passage of Scripture with. He says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its fruit. In other words, I think Jesus is saying, uh, you know, when he's speaking about a bad tree, he's speaking about palm trees. And when he's speaking about a good tree, he's probably speaking about avocado trees. Now, it might be my, my blatant bias here and probably a bad interpretation, but you get the picture. And he's using this analogy of trees producing after their own kind to speak about your spiritual life. He's going to use this to drive home what your spiritual life is like and what it's not like. You're just like a tree, is basically what he's saying. And just like a tree can only produce what is inside of it, so only you can produce what is already inside of you. This is incredible for us to, to, to dig into and ponder because some of you are in this room right now and you're asking, I'm doing X and Y and Z, I'm doing this and that, and I still can't change. I feel stuck in life. I love Jesus, or I think I do, but nothing else in my life matches that. And I, I can't fix my life. I can't get things rolling. I do this, this, and this, but I'm still the same anxious person that I always have been. I still worry myself to sleep. I still self-medicate. I'm still consumeristic. We went through, uh, the, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is talking about loving your enemies. I hate my enemies. I listened to that sermon ten times, and I still hate my enemies. I actually hate them more because Jesus says I'm doing the right thing, and I feel like a resentful of that. And you feel like you're going down this, this slope on the opposite end of where you think your spirituality is going. Maybe you're saying, I'm, I'm judgmental. In fact, as a Christian, maybe you, you would say, I'm, if, if you're honest, you're like, I'm more judgmental than I was as a non-Christian. I don't know how that happened. I'm still filled with hostility and anger and rage. I still work myself to the bone. My values didn't seem to, to change what's going on. Why can't I change is the big question. And Jesus is right now addressing that question with an answer, if I can paraphrase it, in the CLT, Chris Lazo translation of the Bible. He's saying, you will produce what is already inside of you. A good tree will produce good fruit. Now, he's not insulting you. He's not saying, you're a palm tree. You're a bad tree. He's just saying, you're... You don't really always have to try. Like what is in you is going to come out. That is the nature of a tree. What is in you is going to come out. You will produce what is already inside you. Luke chapter 6 verse 44 on the screen or in your Bibles. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. You don't get avocado tr uh, avocados from a palm tree. You don't get mangoes from a banana tree. You don't get, thorn, uh, you don't get figs from a thorn bush. And you don't get change from a heart that hasn't been changed. Instead of, maybe, instead of asking, why can't I change, which is a valid question, maybe a more helpful question for us to ask is, what is going on inside me? What is going on inside of me that is producing what I'm seeing right now? This is what we talked about last week and many weeks prior uh, frequently, this, this idea of self-awareness, that transformation in the kingdom of God often starts with becoming aware of what's going on inside you, both good and bad. And Jesus is 
attempting to make us aware of what's going on inside us. Do you have a thick conglomeration of brambles in your heart? What's going on inside you? We often look at the symptoms first. I'm doing this. I'm not doing that. I can't change. I can't fix this. Jesus, the great physician of humanity and of the human soul, directs our attention straight to the heart. What's going on inside you? Because it's at the heart where Jesus will bring that transformative change that he's so known for. He has a phrase that he uses to refer to heart change. It comes up in John. You might have heard of this phrase often. It's called being born again. Somebody that's been born again, say amen. Amen. Being born again, it's that, that word that he used with this, his, this guy, Nicodemus, that kind of threw Nicodemus off. And you, you, have to, you have to imagine this scene with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Nicodemus was not just some beggar on the street. He was not, uh, he was not uh, a, a, a Gentile. He was what the scripture, what John the writer refers to as the leader of Israel, the teacher of Israel. Probably not a government official. He was probably like the head rabbi. Not a rabbi, not a scribe, not a Pharisee, but the leading scholar and theologian and pastor of all of Israel. Big, big dude. This is the most religiously professional guy in the entire world at that time. And he's coming to Jesus because he sees in Jesus that something that he does not have himself. And he's curious and he's strangely allured. You ever felt that when you looked at Jesus? There's something about this guy. There's something. I don't have that. That is, that is bizarre and strange and wonderful. Nicodemus comes to him in the dead of night, probably because he doesn't want to be seen with this renegade stir of movements and hang her outer with prostitutes and tax collectors, but he, he, he needs so badly what he sees in Jesus. He, he comes to him in the, in the dead of night and just begins to ask questions. And at a certain point, Jesus says something that should stun you and I. He says, Nicodemus, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you are born again. You cannot. Who is he saying this to? the religious leader of all of Israel at that time. You are not in with me or God yet. Stunning. This is a guy that has done all the right things since his childhood. Gone to all the right religious schools, done all the right religious observances. He's gone to synagogue. He knows the scripture, probably has most of it memorized backwards in front. He's done all the things and he is now a leader of the leaders of Israel. God's Uh, little zone right there. And Jesus is pinpointing him, and he's essentially saying, you could dress like an avocado tree. You could smear yourself with guacamole. But Nicodemus, you're a palm tree. You're a palm tree. And no matter how hard you try to squeeze out an avocado, you're just going to be squeezing out daggers from the sky. You can only become an avocado tree, if you are reborn as one, to carry the analogy a little further. You must be born again. This is Jesus' language to refer to the transformation of the human heart. This is the most beautiful thing about Christianity, one of the most, is that it's not simply an ascension to a list of ideas or beliefs. 
I believe in the 12 steps of Christianity. I'm in. Nor is it I do a certain amount of things. I've checkmarked a certain list of behaviors off. I don't do this. I don't do this. I don't do this. I don't do this. Nobody likes me because I'm lacking joy, but you know, I don't do all the stuff that I'm not supposed to do. Or I go to church regularly. I grew up in the church. I raise my hands. I read my Bible. It's not about any of those. Those things are important, but they're only as important as they are tied into the source of the most importance. Jesus says, you must be born again. In other words, he's saying, I want your heart. I want your heart. I want your inner being. I want it for myself. And I don't just want it. I want to change it. I want to get inside of your soul. I want to rearrange the furniture. I want to make the inside of you look like the inside of me. You must be born again. Powerful statement from Jesus. You must be reborn. You must be made into a new tree. There is nothing good that will come out of the old tree. If you want avocados, got to rip out that old palm tree and put in an avocado tree. And this is exactly what Jesus does. Not literally, or I'd have an avocado tree in my backyard. He does this with our hearts. I, I understand this experientially because I grew up in the church. I grew up around church. Uh, came from a Christian family, was used to churches, didn't really believe much of it, but I knew the lingo. I knew the practices. I know how to look the part. I know how to do the stuff. And by the time I was 16, I left the church, disillusioned by it, not wanting anything to do with it again. Years later, I came back to it because they had uh, skateboard ramps in the youth group gym. And from there, I started playing on the worship team, playing bass, and then eventually started uh, singing, leading worship, doing youth stuff, going on youth camps. It was fun. Started getting integrated into the life of the main uh, church body, started playing music on that stage, getting more involved, going on missions, trips, and all of that stuff, but not saved. Uh, but I was doing all the right stuff. And there again, at this church, I was put into a position uh, where I could teach and lead others. But it was avocado leaves all around the outside of myself. But I was a palm tree. And Eventually, this caught up to me because what was inside of me did not match what I was trying to present on the outside. Now, I didn't know this at the time. If I did, I probably would have changed it. I just thought, okay, Christians, we do stuff. We get busy. We do ministry stuff. We sing. We uh, go on missions trips. We get active in stuff, and we, we read the Bible. All good stuff, but I was missing something. And little by little, the church there, my old hometown, began to see the disconnect. I still did all the things that I used to do. I still partied hard. I still, after uh, uh, being involved in the worship band that Sunday, would be found blacked out in a gutter, covered in my own stuff outside of a rave. I'd still be involved in all of that stuff. Church church, People at my church would see me in scenarios like that, and they'd be like, what? What is going on? But I would not see it in myself. I didn't have that moral compass that allowed me to say certain things in life are not good. Or they're at least not in alignment with this Jesus that I'm professing to follow. 
I was more about the stuff. And maybe that's all I knew about Christianity was you just got to do stuff. But there wasn't that change inside of me. Eventually, my behavior, my actions, my manipulation, my control, my lifestyle was so at odds with, with what I was professing, I got kicked out of that church. And I'm glad I did. Because it sent me to Santa Barbara. And in Santa Barbara, I went to another church in Carpinteria, Reality Carpinteria, where disgruntled and bummed at the church and angry at myself and everybody else, God met me in a powerful way. It was during the second set of worship. I wasn't expecting it. It wasn't an altar call. It wasn't even a salvation message. I don't even remember what Brit preached that day. I don't remember what the band was playing. All I remember was something fell on me that day, 13 years ago, during the second set of worship. Something descended upon me. I began to shudder in joy and maybe a little bit of fear, bawling, crying, understanding something is changing me right now. Something is grabbing a hold of me. I didn't have the words or the vernacular to describe it at that time 13 years ago, but 13 years later, I know exactly what happened to me that day. I got born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was done letting me have my way with my own life. And he was like, I love you. And I know you have a plan for your life, but your plan's stupid. So I'm going to stop you right there during, uh, you know, I could sing of your love forever or whatever it was. And he did. Now, here's how I know that I was born again 13 years ago on that day. It's not because I felt different. It's not because I sensed God's presence, although I did. It's not because I was weeping in his presence, although I was. It's not because uh, of any of those things, although those are important things. It's because something changed on the inside. All of a sudden, I didn't want to do the things that I used to want to do. And I didn't even have to try. I didn't like grab a light switch and go, bam, it just happened. In the Gospel of John, right after Jesus' speech to Jesus, Jesus says to, uh, says to Nicodemus, uh, excuse me, Jesus' speech to Nicodemus, Jesus says to Nicodemus, uh, the wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it's going. Such is the person that is born of the Spirit. In other words, the Spirit does what he wants. And on that day, the Spirit did what God wanted, opened my eyes, uncovered the spiritual blinders, and grabbed me right at the seat of my desires, right there in my heart. I was born again. And looking back, I remember, that's where the change happened, and I never looked back. Now, that's not to say I didn't make mistakes or backslid or went down a wrong path. I've done that many times, and I know many of you in this room have too, but it is to say that something on the inside changed. I didn't want to go back. And that was the biggest difference for me. I wanted the will of God. It became lovely to me for the first time in my life. For those of you, if when you are reborn by the Spirit, when you are born again, and make no mistake, Jesus says this is the beginning. You must be born again. What happens is you are given a gift. Jesus, in this text, calls it a good treasure in your heart. You are given a good treasure of the heart. Now, what is the heart? When the Bible speaks about the heart, it's not speaking about your actual uh, pumping heart in your body, the physical heart that pumps blood and oxygen. 
It's speaking, in Hebrew thought, it's speaking about the center of your uh, desires. It's speaking about your will, your willpower, the command seat of the human personality, that part of you that drives everything, out, uh, everything else. As Proverbs says, uh, guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the wellsprings of life, or as another translation says, uh, from it animates the rest of you. The heart is the center of who you are. That's why the Bible talks so much about the heart. Again, not the one that pumps uh, blood and oxygen, but the, the part of you that is your will, your spirit, is another word that the Bible used synonymously. After you have been reborn, your heart is changed. What does that mean? It means God changes your will and your desires. Where you make decisions, where you make choices about big things and small things. God goes after the, just straight after the cockpit. He goes straight into the driver's seat, straight into the command center of the human personality. And he says, I want that. Forget about the symptoms. I'm going to change you right in the middle of where you are and where you exist. And out of that will flow the wellsprings of life. I'm going to change your heart. I want your heart. I care about the heart. Our heart is made new and given a good treasure. Avocados. Now this is something the prophets used to speak about. Long before Jesus, he's just echoing what the Bible has been saying. Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19 through 20. Listen to this. This is, this is gorgeous. Ezekiel says, and this is actually God speaking through Ezekiel to, to the nation of Israel and to us. There will come a day when I will give you a new heart. Ha! I'm going to plant a new tree. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. I'm going to uproot the palm tree is what God said. There's coming a day when I will send a person and he will do what none of you have been able to do. He will uproot the palm tree and he will plant in its place life-giving fruit. I'm going to remove your heart of stone so that you can walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. Jeremiah 31 verse 33 says something similar, but it goes a little deeper. It says, I will imprint my law on your heart. Instead of imprinting, instead of inscribing my commands, my, my desires, my will on those, on those tablets like Moses had, the Ten Commandments, I'm going to do it uh, so where the, those, those stone tablets are now like this thing of up above here shouting at you that you need to get your, your life right and you need to fix this and you need to do better and you can't do it because you have no power to do it. I'm going to take that law and imprint it on the soft flesh of your heart so that you actually desire holiness. So that you actually look at, at, at the things of God and you say, what? I want that. I'm going to imprint my law on your heart. That's what I felt 13 years ago and have since felt for 13 years. Not that I always do what God wants me to do. I certainly mess up. But the desires have changed. That's where it starts. Do you understand? It starts at the bottom, at the core of who you are. Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, it's his divine power. <laughs> it's his divine power that has given us everything we need to live a godly life through our knowledge of him who's called us by his own glory and goodness. Christian, you have everything you need by God's divine power to live and to step out into the things of God. 
everything. You don't need to go over there. You don't need to come over here. You don't need to reach up high. You don't need to look down low. It is within you by the power of God's kingdom. This is the gospel. His divine power has come near to the weak. Listen to the rest of this line. Through these promises, he's given us his, uh, uh, excuse me, through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through those promises, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by what? By our evil desires. Saying, it used to be impossible for you to change, but I'm going to change you. I'm going to change you from the inside out. I'm going to give you a new heart with new desires. For the end goal, that you can taste of the divine nature, that you can know what it's like to live in Christ and through Christ. This is why Paul would pray in Ephesians chapter 3, I pray that by the riches of your glory, you may grant these people to be strengthened with power in their inner being so that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. Paul's prayer was what Jesus desired and what the prophets spoke of, that Jesus wouldn't just shout to you from the rooftops, but that he would step in and invade your heart and soul and change everything from the inside out so that your heart will begin to mirror what the kingdom is supposed to look like. So what is inside of you? That's where we're supposed to go. That's where we're headed. Where, what, uh, what is inside of you and I? I think there's probably two answers to this question based on where you're at in life. One, you've never been born again. And so your answer to the question, what's going on inside of me, is a whole lot. A whole lot of other stuff that I can't control. You might be saying this in the form of another question. Why, uh, why would I even want to do that? Why would I want to stop sleeping around? Why would I want to, to get off of, of these substances? Why would I want to be a nicer person? Why would I want to stop being angry? Why would I want to do all of that stuff? I love it. It makes me feel better. That might be a clue. And I don't mean this with any judgment. I mean this is in an honest and compassionate way. Is it possible that you have never been born again? Because if you've been born again, you'll be able to tell. Because your desires have changed. Forget about your behaviors for a second. We'll talk about that in a second. Your desires have changed. All of a sudden, his law is imprinted on your heart and you love the things of God. You at least desire the things of God. Ask yourself, what's going on inside of me? Do I truly desire Jesus and all of the things that he says? If not, maybe I haven't been born again. What do you do about that? Man, just ask. Jesus said also in the Gospel of Luke that if our fathers, being as messed up as they sometimes are, won't give us terrible and distorted and cruel gifts when we ask for basic things like food and clothing, how much more so will will our Heavenly Father give us the Holy Spirit when we ask Him? All you have to do right now is ask. You don't need me. You don't need you. You don't need anyone around you. If you're even asking that question, it's probably because the Holy Spirit is already working on your heart. I would just encourage you to step out in faith and say, God, I don't know if my heart has been changed. I want that change. Step in. Change me. Get, make me born again. Change me from the inside out so that my heart desires the things that you desire. And watch it come. 
Now there's another type of person, and you might already be a Christian. You have been born again. Maybe you got born again in 1982 when I was one. Or you got born again uh, on Easter this, this year. And you love the things of God. There's things about it that's exciting you. You're like, yeah! Sunday morning rolls around, you're like, yeah! Can't wait to go deep! And then Monday morning rolls around, and you're like, I, I am a terrible person. And maybe you would say, I have been born again. I remember when that happened. My heart is changed. I do love God. I want the things of God. I just can't do the things that I want. I have a follow-up question for you. You've been born again? Here's a follow-up question. But first, I want you to think about this before I ask that question, that follow-up question. If this is all about the heart, and this only has to do with the heart, and it's only about the heart, why does Jesus end by talking about the mouth? Jesus cares so much about the heart. How come he's always talking about the mouth? Listen to Luke, uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 45 in our text. The, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Why does Jesus care so much about the mouth? If it's all about the heart. Or if it's only about the heart. I'll tell you. The mouth is like a faucet. It reveals what is in the reservoir. The mouth, and really when he's speaking about the mouth, he's speaking about the body, right? The mouth being the most notorious part of the body. And when the Bible speaks about the body, just like, just like the heart, it's not just referring to your fingers and your toes and your nose and your bones and your skin, although it certainly includes that. It's speaking to the whole realm of your action and behavior. The body is where the fruit is found. It doesn't matter, and there are a lot of things going on inside of a tree, right, that we don't even see that are electrifying and amazing. I read on, a, uh, I read on this one, uh, one documentary might have heard this, but the trees underneath the ground communicate to one another. They share nutrients and they communicate needs to one another in this elaborate network of underground uh, fungi. And they're keeping one another alive, talking to one another. Inside, you can tell how old a tree is by looking at the layers and the rings and there's photosynthesis happening where they're combining uh, water and, uh, and, and all of this stuff to make food, all of this stuff happening on, on the inside. But how many of you know, if you're hungry, you go up to a tree, you don't care about any of that stuff. You're like, where's the mango? You're going straight for the branch. It's the same way with our actions and our behavior. It's what James would say. Faith without works is dead. It doesn't matter if you're a hearer of the word only. It matters if you're a doer because the body and the heart go together. If they're both doing two different things, something is wrong on the inside. And the heart, its desires and its choices are farmed out, outsourced to the body where they're carried out. If you are angry and bitter and resentful, it's not your heart that slaps somebody, it's your hand. It's not your heart that says something rude, it's your mouth. Got a whole section on the mouth in James chapter 3, right? It's the rudder of the entire body. 
all the things that are inside erupt onto the outside because your mouth is like a faucet. Your body is where everything else in your heart gets carried out. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. And you can tell the condition or the health of your heart by your actions and your behaviors, the things that your heart truly values. So our question we should be asking, you're born again, you're a Christian, but you can't change your life, you're wondering why, what is the fruit in your life reveal? I know what some of you might be saying right now, you're like, okay, fruit, good fruit, good fruit. I need to look for good fruit to prove myself to this pastor so that he'll shut up. Okay, good fruit. Okay, last year. I donated money to an organization that helped kids. Good fruit. Or uh, two weeks ago, I helped somebody uh, across the street. Or uh, last month, I was involved in feeding the homeless. You know, you might be picking out a few things that you did intentionally. But that's your highlight reel. Those are the things that you do when you mean to do something good. That's not fruit. Those are good things, and you should do them. But that's not what the Bible is referring to when it's talking about fruit. You know what fruit is? Fruit refers to your character. And your character is what you do in the moments when you're not planning to do anything. It's what comes naturally to you. It's what you do by accident. It's what you do, as we would say, by habit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, self-control, Those are the things that you do when you're not thinking about what you're supposed to do. So the better question we should ask ourselves is, what are your habits? What are the things that you tend to do the most when you're not thinking about what you're supposed to be doing? In moments of stress and anxiety and need. Because your heart is revealed through your habits. And you can tell whether your heart is healthy based on what you continually and repetitively do without thinking. What are your habits? And some of you are perhaps frustrated. You went into the Christian life, you're like, I, I, I see promise for this, I love Jesus, I want to do this thing, but I just can't. It's been years now. I, I'm trying to be a better person, but I'm not doing it. I have a desire to follow God, but nothing else is lining up. I'm still the same person I always was. What's going on? Well, perhaps for you, perhaps for a lot of us, your heart has been changed. It does desire God's will, but your body hasn't gotten the memo yet. And you can imagine how powerful habits are. We spent, some of us have spent decades doing one thing over and over. Maybe not a good thing. All of a sudden you get changed overnight by the the spirit and presence of God. And you're hoping that those habits that you have formulated for 10, 20, 30 years are just going to disappear overnight? No way. Your heart will change overnight, but your habits are squatters. Paul refers to this in Romans chapter 7 verse 15. Uh, and 18, when he says, I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Anyone relate to that? For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is, in my flesh, in the realm of my behavior and activity. For I have the desire, my heart, I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability, my flesh, to carry it out. Jesus would summarize Paul, who tends to be long-winded sometimes, in a single sentence, 
when his uh, disciples were in the Garden of Gethsemane. He would say it like this. The heart is willing, but the flesh is weak. Your flesh, your heart wants to do the things of God, but your flesh has not yet gotten the memo. It's still got the same habits, the same patterns, the same scripts that it always has until someone steps in and changes those scripts. Until someone, like Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, takes every thought captive to the obedience of Christ Jesus. Or like Paul would say in Romans chapter 6, would say, uh, uh, say to a, a group there in Rome, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies any longer so that you keep obeying their passions. You hear what he's saying? He's saying don't let sin reign in your body. Meaning you don't have to anymore. The power has been broken. You don't have to live that way anymore. You don't have to be caught up in the same cycles anymore. You don't have to just be okay with a broken marriage anymore. You don't have to be caught up in the same uh, workaholism anymore. You don't have to be an alcoholic or be caught up in the same alcoholic destructive patterns anymore. You don't have to be an aggressive bulldozer anymore. You don't have to be jealous and envious anymore. You don't have to uh, coddle that, that demon of resentment and judgment all the time anymore. You don't have to fall into those old patterns. You can be free if you want to be free. You can be free if you want to be free. You don't have to fall into those patterns anymore. That is not your lot. That is not your script in the gospel of the kingdom of God. You have been given a new script. All you have to do is step into that script. The desires are there. The script is there. Everything you need from heaven is there to empower you to live that way. You just got to have the intention and the will to say, I am going to change my habits to match the desires of my new heart getting hot in this place good lord should never bring two jackets to church what am i thinking how do you do it got to recognize today your habits are powerful and for a lot of you your habits are stronger than your heart i love the Love what John Ortberg once said. He said, your, your habits will eat your willpower for breakfast. That's why you get up on Monday and you're like, I'm going to do it this time. New Year's resolutions. I got 100 of them. Then by February, you're like, hope nobody heard me. Your habits will eat your willpower for breakfast. So what do we do about our habits? If our heart's been changed, how do we get our bodies to realign? We must train ourselves for godliness. That's what Paul says. I've been loving uh, looking on Instagram and just seeing all these people working change into their lives uh, in different, different ways in different places, starting new businesses, uh, working out, losing weight, eating right. And I'm just flipping through the feed, just getting so inspired. It's just shedding pounds, building muscle, starting new businesses, achieving goals, and I just get, just get so inspired watching other people's stories as they're jumping over these obstacles to achieve these dreams and goals. Uh, and how many of you know that those people likely didn't just wake up on Monday morning and say, okay, I'm going to lose 15 pounds. Okay, go. Palm tree. 
and say, I want to be a power lifter overnight, okay, bam, you know, there it is. doesn't happen that way. They trained. And I've been noticing that with a lot of training, there seems to be two things. There seems to be some type of replenishment, a, 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 a receiving, a filling of sorts, and some type of resistance, either a taking away or a resistance uh, training, if you will. So if you're working out, you probably add stuff to your life. You're eating right. Maybe you're taking protein shakes, but you're also uh, taking away other things. Maybe you're not eating certain foods. Maybe you're adding to your life some resistance training. Uh, If you're starting a business, there's things you bring into your life. You're bringing in knowledge and information. You're talking to people. You're learning about the field, but you're also taking away certain things. You're, You're cutting things out of your time and your life that you don't need to do in order to focus. You're disciplining yourself. And those things are hard, and they require sacrifice and hard work. And neither do those people seem to just wake up on Monday morning and say, I'm going to do a lot of hard stuff. I'm going to go do stadiums at Santa Barbara City College for, you know, no, no reason. I don't know why. Just fun. They usually have a vision of how life could be if they sacrificed a little bit. I could, I could lose this amount of weight, or I, can, I could feel better about myself. Or I can experience health. Or I can try something new. Or I can risk or experience adventure. There's always something like that in their script or narrative. Guys at this church and Reality Carpentry have been trying to get me to work out for 10 years to no avail. The biggest, yokiest guys ever. Just walking up to me like, Lazo, let's go work out. You know, I'm like... It'll be fun. We'll go to the beach and, you know, I'll make, you know, we'll make you just throw up. You know, we'll work you out so hard. Well, that sounds fun. <laughs> but I love pizza and Netflix, so no. <laughs> and I would turn down everybody. It just, I just never saw, like, eh, no fun. Don't want to do that. I have other stuff. Just didn't have a vision for it. Then one day, 2015, I got a vision. A three-year-old daughter walks into the living room wearing Brianna's high heels and some cute outfit. And her hazelnut hair is falling, cascading off of her shoulders, and she looks at me and she just winks. <laughs> She's only three years old at the time. She's six now. But I looked at her and I'm like, I'm going to be significantly larger than all of your future boyfriends. <laughs> No joke. I gained 20 pounds in that first year. And I got six more to go. Sometimes you need a vision. If your entire Christian life is, I need to be a better person. I need to read the Bible more. I need to go to church. I need to give. I need to join a home group. I need to serve more. You're just going to be frustrated, man. Lady. You're just going to hit a wall over and over. You need a vision for how the kingdom of God could be transformative to your life. I want to read the Bible because in it I might hear from Jesus Christ himself. I'm going to go to a home group because I am a socially awkward person and I need to be conformed into the likeness of Jesus. And I think if I were around people that also love Jesus, that would happen. I want to serve to get out of my own bubble. 
And to think about other people for a change. I want to be like Jesus, but not because I feel like it's, I'm supposed to, but because I want more for my life than just serving myself. We need a vision for how life could be. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, Paul says, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the, life and, uh, for both the present life and the life to come. We need new hearts. We need to be born again. But once we're born again, we need new habits to coincide with those new hearts. And you could do that. There, you know, it's not novel. The disciplines that we bring into our spiritual life, we read the Bible, we pray in solitude. We are around other people of God. For you, that might be a home group for, uh, or it might be some other form of community, spiritual community. We give generously to others, to the poor, to each other. We care for one another. We give of our tithes and offerings. We're active in ministry. We're serving on teams. There's basic ways that we can do that. And as you begin to cultivate best practices, you begin to shed the layers of your old life. And you begin to replenish, supplement your new life in God as you fill your mind and your identity and your heart with the things of God. We need hearts that are changed and filled with the things of God. And then we need to put ourselves in positions where we can grow and train. For you, this might mean not, just, uh, uh, not only cultivating your heart by spending time with Jesus and with God's people, but maybe training for you means you need to step out of your comfort zone. I don't know what that is for you, but perhaps God is nudging you to step out of your comfort zone, to provide a little bit of resistance training in your life so that you can grow, so some of those old habits can turn into new habits of the heart. You might ask yourself, and this is my last thing here, um, and I just, as soon as uh, Brian and the team get on stage, you guys can come out whenever you're ready. But I want you to think about this. Why would you do this? Because at this point, I'm just telling you things to do. Why would you want to live this way? You need a vision for that too. And I just want to give you one, if you don't have one already. It is to leave behind the frustration of having a heart that wants one thing and a body that does something else. I don't know if you've lived that life for a long period of time, but I've lived that for decades, and I hated every minute of it. And now I live in freedom. I don't live in perfection. I still do stupid stuff, and I still to this day can't believe that I'm up here doing this, knowing the things that I've done and still do. But I live in a place of freedom. And I have been given a new script. And I can actively train the rest of me to follow the heart that has been set free from God. And if that's what you want today, you can start. And the way that Jesus says, says it, he says it all starts in the heart. What's the condition of your heart? What do the habits reveal about your heart? Don't approach it with condemnation or guilt like, oh, it's not in a right place. Of course it's not in a right place. And you should be happy. You should pat yourself on the back for recognizing that right now because that's the first step of God's grace. He's making you aware of your need for him. And what God wants to do today is he wants to step into the dark corners of your heart that you have closed off to everybody else, including God and yourself. He wants you to open that lid so that he can step in, begin to rearrange things so that it might one day animate the rest of you. When people see you, they don't just see your words. They don't just see your heart. They don't just see some outward actions. They see a whole person 
being renewed in the knowledge of the image of Jesus Christ. And they will see and you will taste a little glimpse of what the kingdom of God is like. That's your lot and that's your destiny. I want to invite you to step into that swell with me today.